Hello there and welcome to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. I'm Niall Brown. On this episode I talk with Yuval Adler, the director of Sympathy for the Devil starring Nicolas Cage and Joel Kinnaman. I also chat with Carter Smith, who directed the Blumhouse release The Passenger. Sympathy for the Devil is a Las Vegas set modern noir. It features an exceptional turn by Nicolas Cage, a performance which is one of his best in years. Yuval Adler talks about casting the film, taking Cage back to Vegas, the setting for his Oscar-winning performance in Leaving Las Vegas, and a host of other great details about the making of this dark thriller. Later in the podcast, Carter Smith talks about his offbeat thriller The Passenger, starring Kyle Gallner and Johnny Birchold. It's a film which reminded me very much of the 1980s cult classic Heathers, and Smith talks about trying to subvert genre expectations when making the film. As always, I hope you enjoy what we have to discuss. Hello. Hi, Yuval. Hi. Thank, thank you for joining me today. Sure, thank you. And uh, it's great to talk about such an interesting film. So uh, it's, uh, I, I watched it last night and it wasn't exactly what I expected. So I was pleasantly ah. surprised. And okay. I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, so how did Sympathy for the Devil come into your life? Well, it's actually a funny story. It's um, 10 years ago, my my other, I, I, I had my breakthrough film called uh, Bethlehem. And um, uh, I had this moment in Hollywood where the, you have an agent and they send you a bunch of scripts. And most of them are like horrible. You read it, you're like, what, nah, whatever. And suddenly I read that one, right? Uh, Sympathy, so it was like 10 years ago. But uh, so I, as director, pitched myself to the producer to make the film and they didn't take me. It was a great pitch, whatever, but I went with somebody else because, you know, a lot of times it's your film is not like, my Bethlehem is not like this one, so whatever. Then, like, three years later, I see that the film is not made. I remember, it's like, wait a minute, I look at IMDb Sympathy, it's not made. So I emailed the producer, what about it? Yeah, it's here, it's there, we're waiting, like, touching, da, da, da. Three years later, I email again, same thing, yeah, no, 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 no. In the end of 2021, this is like eight years later, I just suddenly remember I sent her an email, like, what's going on? And she said, eh, we lost the right, it's back to the writer. And I'm like, really? How interesting. So I email my, my, my agent to connect me with the writer, and I connect with the writer, and I convince him to send me the, to sell me a right on the film. You know, I tell him, I'm a filmmaker, I'll make it even for little money, producers will sit in development for that. You know, I, I give him this whole spiel, even though I have no idea how we're going to make it. And um, and that's it. And then I show, my manager shows it to a producer called, um, um, uh, a producer called uh, uh, Alex Lebovici, the producer of the film, who actually loved it. And, and he actually took incredible risks to put this film together really, really fast. I mean, what happened was that Joel Kinnaman, uh, who I made 2019, The Secrets We Keep, and we wanted to work together, we became available in August, July, August in the summer, because of some other films suddenly fell apart, or I don't know even what, I don't remember what it was, but like he became available, and then they, they we said, okay, we can, Joel was perfect for the driver, we always wanted him, maybe we can get him, oh, wow, if we can get him, um, uh, the manage, the agent said, well, well, Nick also is available, like suddenly, like magic, this film got made in three, four months, it's right. crazy. It was like just so fast, like suddenly because of this Joel availability, Nick is also like da -da -da -da, became, it's like, and we did it. It was crazy. To, to get Nicolas Cage involved, I mean, it's obviously set in Las Vegas and he made mm -hmm. a very famous film 
mm -hmm. which won an Oscar for set in Las Vegas. Was there any apprehension on his part or on your part when you offered him the role that he didn't want to be kind of associated with the city, if that makes any sense? Uh -huh. It's the opposite. First of all, first of all, um, uh, Nick lives in Vegas. Right. He wants to, he actually, we had to go to Vegas because he couldn't, he wanted to shoot in Vegas. Okay. He had to, his wife was about to give birth. He said, I can't leave. We can just shoot it here. We can do it. Okay. And that's great. Like, um, it's a great, it's great for the film. Vegas, I think it's a great setting for the film, but um, um, it, it's a state without or with very little incentive, like uh, compared to Georgia or New Orleans. So again, the producers had to, had a big, big problem in terms of the incentive. Like they, we, financially, it was a bigger risk even to do it in Vegas, and they really pulled through on that. So, but Vegas, like Nick really wanted it to do in Vegas, and I agreed, it's a great setup for the film. I mean, the film was originally written for New York, snow, you know, winter, it's like completely the opposite, but it doesn't matter. It's like about the story, you know? No, watching it, I actually presumed Vegas was because it, it, it is such an intrinsic part and even like his wardrobe and, and the music. Yeah. It, it just yeah. seems like it, that, that's the way it always should have been. Exactly. exactly. It seems perfect. But yeah, it, it's actually something that was decided a month and a half before production. A month and a half before production, still we thought we we're going to go to Georgia or something. Right. But that sounds <laughs> like a very tight time frame before you actually start shooting a film. Crazy. We had so little time. I mean, again, that's the flip side of it. We had so little time to prepare. It's like suddenly it happens and you're like, uh, you know what I mean? Like everything. And to figure out how to do the LED stage stuff, the driving uh, was very difficult. We didn't have a lot of time. Uh, cinematographer um, uh, Steve Holleran and I and the producer Alan Unger, we all really were driving, shooting plates, figuring out how to how to 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 work this uh you know they have this uh, led stage in vegas the view uh, uh view uh stages and it's fantastic um it's a fantastic uh setup but we were all new to it i mean they also they did other kind of stuff commercials whatever and then do a future film like ours we were all new to it so it was a lot of figuring out with very very little time very little time well, that's one of the things I was watching the film and I thought it must have been very difficult because a lot large portions of the film are set within the confines of a car. The, yeah. Logistically for that, how difficult is that to make sure it doesn't become repetitive of one shot of Nicholas yeah. Cage? Once, what's yeah. it like as a director to do that? That way, that me and Steve, we were thinking about a lot. It's like you constantly have to find ways to make it interesting, to move around, to find a new shot, to where... Uh, to cover it a different way, um, yes. I mean, the, the, the thing is that the, the film has such a, a clean look because it has so few locations in a way. It has exterior Vegas night, it has a car, it has a diner, that's it. And the outside the diner with a fire. But it's all kind of this very, you know, specific looks that you get into and you sit in for a while and you have to be fascinated by the actors and what they're doing and the story has to move a certain place to keep you interested. And we have to make, you know, as you said, we have to get shots that are interesting uh, to get, you know what I mean? To get um, uh, to get that thing, you know, to get that thing, uh, um, uh, uh, keep you constantly engaged, that you're lost in the film, that you don't start to kind of zone out, you know? Um, we can't afford it in that film. 
No, and I think one of the, the great things was you, you've got two great actors in the center of it, but you've also got fantastic dialogue. Was, was that all on the page or was there any ad-libbing? How, how did that work? Um, a lot of, I mean, the script already was very good and there was a lot of dark humor in the script. With Nick, there was, uh, we connected really on that idea that this should be also like a dark comedy. It's a thriller, it's, a, you know, it's very pulpy, it's, it's a mystery, but it's also a dark comedy. And we always try to find the funny, the, the, this, this kind of humor in everything. And he would just come up with stuff all through rehearsal, but also through the shooting. Like he would just like, I don't say cut. And he starts making shit up and just going crazy. And he tries, said, I trust you not to, you know, to protect me. And we, you know, we got this trust, but he would just like come up with such, you know, um, like, like, for example, when he, when he, uh, when he, um, in, in the trailer, if you saw the, tra I mean, you saw the film, but it's already in trailer, yeah. when he said, well, do are you Dr. Ross, my psychiatrist, like your doctor, you know, you're, 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 you know, uh, what is, what's his line, I forget, like your Dr. Ross, my psychiatry, you know, and then, and, and, and he just said it all of a sudden, and I was like, what is that, what is that, and it was like, and he tells me a whole story about it, like he has a whole story where it came from, but yeah, let's do it, do it again, and then we put it in the film, so uh it's not like uh the mucus man you know it's not like uh it's crazy stuff sometimes he comes up with crazy you know fantastic stuff and we just you we just want to try to get as much as you can and then put it in the film in a way that it's not all or too much but it's exactly right that's like you know which i think we did here yeah no definitely i i mean i think it's one of nicholas cage's sort of finest performances i think in the last few years yeah. i it, it's a really engaging turn by him yeah yeah and and his look the, the sort of the style was it was was that his idea as well yes the red hair and the red jacket he suddenly came up with it and he's like because that what we thought of is that the guy is a bit like an entertainer you know like sometimes when he burns stuff up in the diner and he comes out and in i imagine him saying we got a great show for you tonight folks you know what i mean like he's an entertainer you know and 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 it is, you know, he takes this night to be something he can enjoy, you know, that like he's, even though he, there's all this dark stuff going on, he wants to have a party at the end, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and that idea is that, okay, if, if I'm an entertainer, you know, if this is it, then I can dress like this Vegas crazy guy, you know. Well, that's it. I mean, one of the, the lines that made me sort of laugh out loud funny was when he, he gets punched in the, the nose. And he yeah. sort of, his nose is broken. He said, I wanted to look like 100, 100, 100 uh, yeah. sex and, I, and now I only yeah. look like 50. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but exactly. no, I thought that was great. And I, 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 like I said, his turn's great. And it's a very overblown performance. And Joel Kinnaman's is very on the level. Exactly. exactly. How does he balance that to not feel like it's somebody's being outweighed on either side? He is like, uh... He is like, uh, uh, Joel, it's exactly, Joel has to be like the audience. Joel has to be like him looking at Nick like we look at Nick. You know, we laugh when Joel, a lot of times Nick does something funny, but what makes us laugh is Joel's reaction to it. Like Joel looking like, what the fuck, you know what I mean? Like that. And Joel had to kind of, and one of the challenges for Joel was to disappear into this mundane existence of this very kind of gray person, you know, and be very different from what he, you know, from what you, what happens to him in the film and what you see with him later, but like to see, to be, to have this kind of, um, 
uh, you know, and Joel is very, you know, I, I didn't want him to, I didn't want him to look like, like, you know, somebody from the Suicide Squad, even a little bit in the beginning, like to look like a regular person. And, but Joel still has this quiet charisma that he doesn't have to look, do a lot, and still he holds the screen and he holds what's going on. And, and in that sense, uh, I think you, you did a great job. It's perfect, you know, and I, I was very happy with, you know, both of them. They were also had great chemistry. And the fact that we actually got the privilege of shooting stuff like um, sometimes seven, eight minute takes, or like seven, eight minutes of pages of dialogue in one sitting in the car or in the diner. And Nick, who was always in the during production, before production, was bitching about it's too many lines, it's too many lines, I can't, it's not enough time, it's too many lines. And then he basically knew everything from beginning to end. Like we could say, can you do these 10 pages? Like, okay, you know, and he would know it was crazy. Like it was such a pro. If you're rattling through a lot of dialogue like that and a lot of pages, how long did you have to shoot? What was your shooting schedule? Like? The whole thing was 20 days. Right. It was crazy. 20 days, the whole film. And, That's a very uh, short space of time, yeah. Very short, very short. It was crazy. I never shot a film. I mean, even my Israeli film, my breakthrough was, was which was, it was also a very low budget film, was, I don't know, close to 30. And my Art Secrets, which was also, but it was 25. I never shot a film in 20 days. And this film had some, you know, had some stunts, had some violence, had some, you know, it's not, uh, but it's those days that we actually had them sit down and do a lot of dialogue, like in the diner, in the car. That's where we burned a lot of pages, like per day, you know. And when you had them in the car, were they both in the vehicle at the same time? Not to ruin yeah. movie magic, they were both sort of no, there. No, we always had them together. I mean, we always had them together and reacting to each other. They were always together. And we had two cameras and we constantly shot both of them together. So there is a, a connection there that you feel all the time. Well, that's it, because you, you often hear about a lot of big stars and they, you know, they yeah. do their close up and then they have somebody else read off off screen. But they, they were both that's sort of in always, always that, that must have been fascinating to watch as a director, two great actors kind of firing off that sort of dialogue. Yes, it was great. It was great. And uh, I mean, look, it's great. Sometimes it's not great. Sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes you have to fight for what you want. It's not. But but overall, it's uh, it's uh, it was really, really um, a successful collaboration between the actors, uh, the setup that we had to shoot it. I mean, that that situation that we had, like, you know, these this um, this uh, stage, this um, diner set that we can get in there and really kind of focus on the performance because we're all set up in the same place and we don't spend a lot of energy or time moving you know once we figured out how to do the driving then we got in there and we did like 36 37 pages there which is great so the actors are kind of they can just focus on the performances and it was very it was a very nice setup yeah, I mean, I thought the the sequence in the diner, I, I mean, I thought that was fantastic. I thought all the characters, you know, even the chef guy, who's a very tiny role, he was very good. The waitress, you know, the, the dialogue, the arguments over the, the tuna melts. I, th I thought that was all incredibly yeah. well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, uh, I think, and I think it's funny. I mean, to me, I, I'm just, it's funny. When he goes, no substitution, and then the waitress come and he immediately tries to order off the menu. <laughs> That's the thing that I read in the script that it just, I said, that I want to make that film. Like that, that, those moments, you know? That's it. Nobody puts uh, mozzarella on a tuna melt. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but no, exactly. I, th I thought that was fantastic. And there's that sequence where he, he sort of, he, he hits the jukebox. 
Yeah. And there's, there's that little musical sequence, but the music the whole way through the movie is yeah. very haunting. Uh, tell me about the musical yeah. choices and how they came to be. So we have the nil drops we have are very specific. We did a lot of work. I mean, I was fighting for each one of them and it was, again, very hard. We had no money. And some of them are, you know, you have Ellen Vega, you have Scott Walker, you have like some big names. And we managed to the producers eventually, and all of us kind of chipped in and, and, and actually paid for these songs. A lot of thought went into the soundtrack. And then also my uh, composer, Ishai Adao, who's an Israeli guy, worked from Israel. While the demonstrations are all happening, he's also going to demonstrations and then sending tracks at the same time. <laughs> and then uh, and then he, uh, I worked with him on Bethlehem, and he's a DJ and a musician in his own right. And he made this kind of wacky, crazy, haunting, big soundtrack, you know, um, it was it was it, it really came together in a, in, a, in a magical way yeah that's it i mean the music from the the, the opening credit sequence the, the whole yeah. way sort of it's it's this haunting kind of old vegas kind of yeah. croonery thing without getting too frank sinatra you know it's exactly, it's, exactly. yeah I, I thought that really kind of set the tone and I, I, for the for the whole movie so i i thought that was fantastic so it's it's i'm i'm going to check out that music um on spotify once uh, oh cool once done good, good. good and yeah. so what that you said there that sort of getting the music rights with a limited budget as a Very director with, with a vision what's it like kind of working with a limited budget is it something that you like having to scrap around or is it just sort of a pain in the backside sometimes what working with limited uh, budget yeah and resources and, and trying sort of with a vision that you want to match it's uh it's yeah it's crazy it's constantly no no we can't no let you know and you have to fight for stuff the biggest problem was here i mean here it translated to these few days 20 days but a lot of time you know we wanted shots of the car from outside no let's get it with you know we have to, you know, you have to fight for everything and you have to, um, uh, again, lucky we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have to compromise on how sets look. Like our production designer, Bernd, was had, had to build one big set, which is the diner. So we could really invest a lot in that, you know, and I think we didn't compromise at all. And he did it for, again, very little budget, but he concentrated on that. And... Um, and uh, and yeah, and I think that um, uh, the the money thing is always you know at this again we were lucky that we didn't have to compromise like I mean even the song that Nick dances to it was expensive we found a way to pay for it you know um, so yeah uh, it, it it must help when you've got two big stars sort of behind you kind of making that easier I mean sometimes it's actually it actually it actually bad because for example you want to you want to buy a song and a lot of times you they know it's a nick cage song so the film they think you have money and they're like no we want thirty thousand dollars we don't have money what do you mean you don't find it's a nick cage you know what i mean so it's actually a lot of time if we were an indie like a, whatever they'll give it to us for much less but they they don't so sometimes you know it's like it works against you <laughs> Yeah, you, you just pretend that Nick Cage isn't in your movie and then... Uh, you can't. It's like they look it up and they're like, no, what are you talking about, you know? <laughs> um, so you, you're doing the, the, the press for this now and obviously in the US, the writers are on strike, the actors are on strike. Yeah. What what are you working on now and what, what's sort of coming up next for you or are you just on sort of sabbatical? No, 
I mean, I look, it's like uh, I have a few projects that I developed that's like uh, very different from that. But I'm as a director, you know, the DGA already got their deal. Yeah. I'm not an actor as a, you know, as a writer. There's also stuff I'm doing internationally. Uh, but yeah, it's like for me, let's see that this film comes out. Anyway, there's a few months that is about de dealing with this film. I mean, the, 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 what it affects us is that you know, Nick and Joel can't uh, do interviews now and can't promote the film, which is a shame because they want to talk about the film also. We want to hear their perspective of it. And it's, you know, um, but, uh, it, you know, the worst thing this happens to you is when you're shooting, you know, imagine or we are about to shoot and then yes. you start a strike, it can collapse a film. So I can't complain, you know, <laughs> and I think they're right. I mean, in a way, there's all this the landscape changed so dramatically, like I, you know, uh, all this streaming. So they, they really have to have different contracts. It's not that the old contracts don't even, they're not relevant anymore. It's a really different landscape. So it's, it's kind of expected that there's going to be some, you know, head to heads and strikes and strife until they'll figure it out. That's it. I mean, the world, I, I've been sort of writing and talking about films for about 15, 16 years now, and sort of the, the way it has all changed, even sort of chatting with you now over, over Zoom would have been something totally different 10 years exactly. ago. Exactly. Yeah, you know? it's, it's all changed. It's very strange. But it, as a director, it must be really good. One of the things for you is that smaller movies like this one have the opportunity to compete with the big Mission Impossibles because there's a platform out there now for them to be seen? Exactly. I mean, if you now to be mostly in, you, you can't compete with them in the cinemas. It's just too expensive for films like us. So we can do some symbolic release, but it's not really, um, um, it's, it's, you can, you can, but the fact that you can actually, in the streaming world, you can actually exist if you have a good film or, and you need a star, you need somebody, it's very hard to, break in without anything but we have cage and kim and so in a way you on the streaming side of it you can actually make a dent and actually be seen and it's not a bad thing you know again there's there is a cinematic experience that i think is priceless but uh for a film like that to be seen streaming some you know I don't have it in enough cinemas to, you know, we don't have it in enough cinemas to actually have most of the viewing of this film is going to be on streaming. So you got to accept mm -hmm. it and, you know, and um, I'm sure that's how you saw it, you know, yeah, so well, in a way. Yeah. yeah, that's it. But I mean, everyone's got big TVs now, so you do, exactly. almost, you know. It's not as bad as it used to be. It wasn't like straight to video films like 10 years ago, you know? No, what I mean? and it's, it's not pan and scan on a 32 inch. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's the new world. Of course, when you have these big films, you want to see it in the theaters. And, you know, and I wish this was playing in more theaters, but this is what it is. And and it's a great movie. Um, I, I, I'm sort of, I see time's almost up here, but I thought it was a blast. I thought it had two fantastic performances and it, it took me to a place that I, I didn't expect where it was going. So uh, I thank you for that. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yeah, and good luck with it. I hope it's a, a big hit for you. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And now for my conversation with Carter Smith. The Passenger, I really enjoyed it. Now, we're, can we talk spoilers on this today? Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't see why not. Yep. I'll put a little sort of disclaimer up beforehand. I mean, other, and, than this, other than spoiling the very end. Like, don't spoil yes. that. Okay. I, won't, I won't spoil that. 
But to begin with, I, I watched the film, really enjoyed it. And then I was sitting around preparing for this interview with you. And I thought, is it all in Randy's head? Like a fight club situation? Yeah, Am I right? Been, you've been, no, no, you've been reading the YouTube comments on the trailer. Like, no, no, I, I, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's quite a, there's quite a bit of that. And I never saw it as that. I don't think that Jack, I mean, I, I don't know if Jack ever saw it as that, but no, they were always in my mind, flesh and blood, real life, two people. Right. It, it's only as I, I, I didn't watch it like that. It's, I, I kind of sat there thinking this yeah. morning and it was like, oh, really? Is that a different take on it? And then I, I just I mean, they I, do. I mean, they do represent, you know, completely different parts yeah. of, you know, their own. They're each dealing with their own, you know, shit and their own baggage and trying to make sense of of, you know, the stuff that they have not uh, dealt with. But um, no, in my mind that they're they're two different people. Great. As long as we've got that out of the way, we'll, we'll yeah. move on. <laughs> um, firstly, how did the film come into your life? How, how did you become attached to it? Yeah, so um, I had done a movie called Midnight Kiss uh, for with Blumhouse for their Into the Dark series of, okay. you know, of streaming films for Hulu. And, you know, they do these, these series of, of films uh, and it's a, it's a production model quite similar to television where they do like a slate of six films or eight films and they, they use a lot of the same, you know, uh, department heads and and so they had they had I think they'd finished all seven of them and they were looking for one for the last one and Lauren Downey who produced this who also produced uh, Midnight Kiss she was like you know Blumhouse really wants to find something to do they would send us there in New Orleans like you know there here's a couple scripts none of the scripts like hit in a way that you know I sort of have to be hit in order to spend a, a year working on a project um, and so I just kind of asked, I was like, would it be okay if I went out and, and looked for some scripts that fit the model? And I had read stuff that Jack had written before and really loved it. And so we called him up and said, you know, do you have anything that, that might work within this, uh, you know, at this scope and scale? And so he pulled out uh, the passenger, took it to Blumhouse. And even though it wasn't quite didn't fit the model, you know, the sort of content straight up horror model of what they normally do. I think everyone was really excited to to dive into something that was like a little bit different and and kind of had horror elements, but was also, you know, kind of deeply uh, character based. Well, that's it, because I was watching it, obviously thinking it's a Blumhouse film, you know, it's going to go yeah. in a certain direction. And, and I was pleasantly surprised that it, it didn't go down in sort of a traditional horror route because yeah. it, it did sort of have me, I, I was honestly going, where is this going? You know, I didn't really sort of understand where the, the arc of where the characters were going and how yeah. everything fit together. So, I mean, it, it was nice and refreshing in that way. Yeah. Well, and there, I mean, there are moments that, that horror fans will, you know, will love. I mean, there's three kind of sequences that were like really bloody sort of shocking horror type sequences which of course you know were fun to to you know come up with and shoot and sort of figure out how to present them in a genre way that felt like it fit with the rest of the film well that's it i mean it's brutal you know when when you go for it you you really go for it in particular the the sort of the, the car park sequence you know, that was sort of, I, I would say, the, the kind of the culmination of the brutality as such. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's violence that's coming, you know, from Benson's yeah. past. You know what I mean? It's, it's very much tied to 
whatever it is that he has gone through. And I mean, both actors were great. How, how did the, the casting work for you? Um, you know, it was like a pretty straight up normal casting process. Like people were putting themselves on tape and it was just about figuring out like what, which two guys were gonna make the best pair. Um, you know, I loved Johnny's tape from the very first time that I saw it. And as soon as we started talking about Kyle, it was like, okay, this is like dream team. Like, you know, the two of them together, I just thought would be incredible. So, um, you know, it was just a matter of, of, of kind of balancing the energies and like the looks and the, the sort of the, the screen presence. Well, that's it. in a strange sort of way. And maybe I'm just totally off with this. It reminded me of Heather's. Um, oh, yeah. In the, the dynamic with, with, with the two characters and, and one sort of, you know, psychotic and the others more meek, but trying to sort yeah. of escape from who they are. Yeah. So uh, that, I, that was, I, I, I hadn't thought about that, but I love that movie. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, that was sort of, it was probably halfway through. I thought, yeah, that, this is kind of reminding me of that vibe. I mean, obviously minus the, the, the humor or whatnot, but yeah, that's sort of, it, it gave me... There's like a there's like a little messed up humor in the passenger. Like oh, oh yeah, there is. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it is sort of darkly uh, comedic, you know. And but I think yeah. that comes from the performances as well. You know, I yeah. mean, the, the two actors and even the sequence where they're in the uh, the the teddy bear making shop. Yes. You know. Yeah. After what's gone that, before. Yeah, and the fact that the, you know, when they when they come out of that mall and they're carrying like a stuffed alligator and a you know like it's. It's it's yeah it's it's definitely uh, meant to be darkly funny in places. Yeah, was was all that stuff in the script that you know like that setting was was that all there or did you kind of yeah. tweak that? Yeah, no, I mean that was, you know we did a fair amount of tweaking just you know as you do as you move into production you know and like oh we you know we don't want to move around so much let's try to consolidate two things you know that that type yeah. of stuff but the build a bear uh was there i mean a, a lot of it a lot of it was was already there yeah because i mean that you sort of you see those shops in malls all the time and i've, I've never been in one but that sort of added a, a real sort of extra creepy dynamic to the whole thing but yeah he does frequent those places potentially yeah yeah <laughs> and i mean another thing you sort of you, you begin in a, a fast food restaurant which is sort of a, a typical Sort of, you see that all the time in a lot of movies and TV shows, and then it turns really bleak. And with the the, the combination of different characters, how do you? And I mean, that's possibly the most I'm going to say complex sequence in the film because you've got so many people within one space. How do you yeah. sort of create that blocking for that sort of scene or those sequences, and sort of work with the actors on something like that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually one of my favorite parts. I mean, I I love that moment when it's like you get to set. I mean, also like this burger place was not a burger place. We we created it, like what? it was a it was a store that we then turned into a burger place. And so, you know, it was created with the idea, like knowing what the choreography needed to be and what needed to happen. But like one of my favorite times is like that when you first show up set up to set in the morning, like everyone's eating breakfast and like I get to go in with the DP and the cast and just let them run the scene and walk through it and just kind of figure it out when it's like, you know, five of us or six of us or however many people and just sort of have the freedom to be like, 
what feels natural and what, like, where do you think that you go here? And then, you know, and, and sort of shape it that way. And once you've done that, because I mean, again, the, the casting was great. Like the manager of the, the, the burger joint, he was just yeah. wonderfully sleazy and sort of, you know, the, you've got the bully character. When you're, you're casting roles like that, which are quite small, I mean, how much time do you spend selecting one of those actors who's only going to be on screen for a few minutes compared to somebody who's going to be the, the duration of the film? I mean, I, I think that you spend just as, I mean, I spend just as much, I mean, add just as much time as anybody else, the same, the same amount of thought and, and, you know, consideration goes into it. I mean, because, you know, like you said, that, that manager, like it, that could have been, so many different types of of person and and you know i mean i think that you you know you want to feel like you have people that are all within the same story like they live in the same world and so you sort of i mean i'm i have a background in photography and and so i'm like also super visual and and sort of get really hung up on like okay well this person's tall and dark and this you know she's got red hair and it's curly and that means we need someone like there's you know just to come up with a balance that makes sense but I, you know, that's, in, in this film in particular, there's a lot of parts, you know, like Marsha the waitress and the diner later. And like, there's a lot of sort of day player parts that came in for two or three days that have, but they were all like kind of good parts. They all kind of had something to do with it. You know, with, they had something interesting to do. So we got really talented actors, you know, excited to be a part of it because it wasn't just like, a waitress who comes over and says, can I take your order? You know, like there's, there's, there's more to it than that. So that was, that was really fun. Well, that's it. I mean, now that you, you, you do say that all the supporting characters, even if it's the woman who's behind the desk in the school. I love know, her. Yes. I love her. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, she and like for me, for me, that's, it's so much fun to like, okay, this is who she is. Like, yes, she's going to dress in mint green from head to toe. And she's going to have mint green earrings and it's going to be like coming up with that stuff is, is, you know, is such fun. Well, that's, and it's just a little sequence in the middle of the movie that, I mean, you could potentially have cut down to 30 seconds and it, it sort of just helps propel the, the plot forward, but also add a bit of humor and a bit of character. Yeah. Yeah. Are, you, are yeah. you ever under pressure to, to cut those things down as a director and go, we need this under 90 minutes? you know get hacking um i didn't i didn't get that so much on this uh project i mean i've certainly felt that in the past and i think that i often feel that just for myself like i'm i don't want things to lag um and i don't want things to drag and so i, I like to keep things moving or try to um you know i think that we we did you know we trimmed up some stuff in the beginning so that you know to get to the burgers 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 a little bit sooner um but you know, it's more about the pacing in general. And I mean, you're always making tweaks. Like you're always cutting out one or two lines here, or you know, one line there, or you know, but never usually um, big chunks. And and on this, it wasn't you know, it we weren't sort of restricted to you know, it has to be ninety minutes or it has to be a specific length. They were sort of great about letting it be the length that felt right. And and having that streaming option as a director and almost a, a different look at the commerciality of, you know, you, you don't have to get X amount of screenings per day. 
does the streaming model free you up? Do you free, feel freer without having to worry about sort of bums on seats as such? I, yeah, I mean, at least, I mean, the, the thing that about it that's interesting and that's exciting is that it's accessible. You know, the films are accessible and, and you know, not everyone has a theater that would play a movie like this yep. near them. Like most people don't, like I, you know, and so the, just being able to get the film in front of people whether they're watching it on their laptop or on their TV or God forbid on their phone, like, <laughs> you know, like it, at least they're, they're, they have access to it and they can, and they can watch it. And I think that's, what's exciting about it because, you know, a movie, you know, an, a sort of character-based thriller like this doesn't scream like, you know, massive blockbuster, huge marketing. Like there it's, it's a little more nuanced than that. And I think that, you know, there's more room to stray away from a, a, that type of model of storytelling because of streaming. And it, you're spot on. I mean, from, from my perspective, as somebody who watches a lot of films, it, it's really good when you've got your mainstream stuff, but you know what you're getting with those. And like I said, when I sat down to watch this, I did see Blumhouse come up at the start and I, I did have a certain anticipation as to what it might be. And it sort of, totally took me in a different direction so I, it re- is good that you now have the option where right you're, you're not going to have to spend I don't know how much the ticket is $20 for you guys or whatever it is whereas yeah, yeah. you know you can go right I'm watching this and I'm going to enjoy it and it's kind of you don't have to worry about breaking the bank t- to see it and that must be freeing and, as an artist yeah and I'm going to give it a chance I'm going to give it a chance I'm going to yeah. I, I haven't maybe heard of this director I haven't heard of this actor I haven't you know and, and there's a lot more Sort of, I mean, genre audiences in particular are really open and enthusiastic yeah. about about embracing stuff that is new, um, and I think that that is only made easier by by streaming. Oh, de- definitely. Um, I, I sort of see that time is ticking on, so I will sort of try and wrap things up. What obviously the world of movies is in a bit of flux at the moment with strikes here and there. What's next for you? Have you got anything lined up? Are you planning anything or? Um, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm working on a couple like personal projects. Like it seems like everything is basically on pause at the moment as we sort of figure out what the future of yeah. filmmaking might might look like. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of working on my own stuff and not, like I, I made this movie and another movie called Swallowed, like two movies in the same year and released them like, you know, I mean, Swallowed came out in February. So like, I'm a bit of like, I don't mind taking a little break for a, for a moment. <laughs> yep, I, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, actually looking where you are, you actually looked like you were on a set of a horror film. You've kind of got a, a dark wall <laughs> behind you, some yeah. sort of foreboding art and sort of- Yeah, greenish. a little snow skin. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm in my place in, in Maine. It's a, it's a little, it's a little like uh, gothic moody here for sure. Yeah, I mean, to be selling a movie like this, I think you're in a, a prime location. Yeah, <laughs> good. I, I'm waiting for that curtain to open up and somebody with a, an axe or a chainsaw. Yeah, no, it's, it's like a messy, it's a messy kitchen back there. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, don't worry. You should see yeah. the other side of my room as well. So, <laughs> yeah. but can I say thank you for your time? And I, yeah, like I said, thank I you. Really enjoyed the movie, and I, it took me in a direction I, I never thought I was going to go. So, thank you for that. Cool. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, and good luck with it. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
and I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time, and I'll see you at the movies.